0: I saw this video a few months ago and it was moved deeply. This video is entitled The Lost. I echo what John Piper says in this video. The missionary question is not where there are unbelievers and send a missionary there. There are unbelievers everywhere. They are in your homes and you break bread with them over dinner time. They are in your circles of friends in school. They are your work colleagues. They are everywhere. And then he concludes, Oh, that we can get a heavenly mindedness about the world so that we see it the way God sees it. Lives are a vapor. Eternity is long. Heaven is ecstatic with joy. Hell is horrific with pain. These are the great realities. My friends, this morning, do you have a heavenly mindedness about the world so that you see it the way God sees it? That lives indeed are short. The life that you live is short. The lives others live are short. And eternity is forever. Heaven is full of joy. Hell is real. It is horrific. It is terrible. Because these are the great concerns. And these are the great realities of life. The great realities and concerns of life are not about what is the next social event you are going to. It's not about whether a person likes you or not. It's not about how many likes you get on your Facebook posts. It's not about how good the food was you just ate. It's not about how many hours of sleep you got last night or where your next vacation destination will be. The great realities of life are about life and death, heaven and hell, and how you will live your life you see a reminder of the great realities of this life with a heavenly mindset should spur us to be what we are called to be which are to be witnesses to the world it is a responsibility you and i carry and it is this responsibility this great responsibility as witnesses to the world that we will take a look at this morning as we continue our series entitled own up a call for personal responsibility. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of First Peter, chapter two, as we exposit verses eleven and twelve. First Peter chapter two verses eleven to twelve as we continue our study in the book of First Peter. As you turn to these two verses and as we study them this morning. I'd like all of us to remember two things, to keep two things in mind. First of all, the lost. The lost is what we were once. And by the grace of God, we were found. It is the lost in this world that we are to find. Jesus Christ came to this world to seek and save the lost. The second thing I'd like you to keep in mind as we study these two verses the Great Commission of Matthew 28 is one of our rally cries to reach the lost. And the lost are not just in some far flung country we've never heard of. And they are there. And perhaps one day, someday, God would raise up our generation in this church to go to those countries. But the lost are also right in our very homes. We eat with them every day. We share bread with them. They are in our communities. They are in our social context. They are our colleagues. They are our students. And they are our friends. They are the lost. And it is them we will be talking about also as we look at these two verses. Keep those two truths in mind as we examine what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 and 12 Look with me in the Bible as I read these two verses. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. Peter begins in verse 11 by admonishing the readers of his time and ours in the kindness, in the kindness of ways, he calls us beloved. And then he begs us, I beg you, Peter, pleads with those who are reading this letter, abstain from your desires of worldly things. He's pleading to those he loves very much. He is begging us to abstain from our desires for worldly things. Why? He gives us two reasons in verse 11. First of all, because we are sojourners and pilgrims, he terms us. The word sojourner conjures the idea of travelers temporary residences in a home that is not ours. The implication is we are not to stake our claim in this world. We are not to settle down. Travelers, sojourners are known to pack light, to be ready to move when they are called or when they need to move. The more established, the more settled we are, the more we will be unwilling to move. What has rooted you down so deeply in this world that you and I are not unable to move when Christ calls us to move? For some of us, it is the baggage of reputation that we carry We have built up our reputation, and the baggage of reputation is so heavy that we are not willing to move for Jesus Christ when He calls us to move because we risk losing the reputation we have built up. For others, it is the baggage of money. We've worked so hard to accumulate so much that we cannot move. We cannot stand up for Christ lest we lose the baggage of the money that so weighs us down. For some of us, it is the baggage of family. We are so unwilling to move when Christ calls because we have rooted ourselves and find our identity in our families. And yet the Bible calls us sojourners. He calls us wanderers and travelers. And in that, we are to abstain from the desires of worldly things. If there are certain things that God calls you to do, what are the things in this world that you are unwilling to give up because you are so tied to it? Let me give you an example if I were to invite you to accompany me to a a one-month trip to Scandinavia, would you come with me? For an Asian congregation, I'm thinking the first question in your mind is, how much does it cost? What if I were to tell you it's free? I'm sure all of you would come. Imagine to hike through the beautiful mountains and see the beautiful fjords and the river, lake valleys of that gorgeous region in the north. Most all of you would come. And so I invite you to an orientation of how this trip would go. And I tell you, if you come, there will be no Chinese food for a month. Can you live with that? No rice. No rice for a month. Now I know how some of you are thinking. You're thinking, no problem. I'll bring my own rice cooker. Because I know that's how you travel. So you'd still come with your rice cookers. What if I told you, no cars, no coaches, no buses, you would have to walk miles every day. We would be hiking through the mountains. And you're thinking as you're sitting there, Well, if Steve's leading that tour, he doesn't walk much, so I think I can handle it. I need the exercise. I can rough it for four weeks. What if I told you you wouldn't be staying at any hotels, but perhaps in a log cabin, perhaps outdoors, sleeping on the floor? That may deter some, but probably won't deter many as you're in for an adventure. What if I told you on this trip that there would be no modern conveniences? You would have to leave your phones at home. You would not have internet access. No news for a month. That would be a deal breaker for a lot of you who cannot survive one day without your smartphone. What if I told you because we'd be moving around every day you would have no contact with your families and your friends. Would you go? What if I told you that you would have Bible study every day? That you would have to share the gospel with every person you met on this trip? Would you go? With all of these requirements and many more, I don't think many, if not any, would be going. I may not go myself. And if you will not go on this fictional trip because you don't think you can live without any of these things, then you begin to identify what it is you are most attached to in this world. And then you cannot be what Peter calls you to be, a sojourner, a wanderer, a traveler. This biblical concept also has a secondary idea and that's rooted in the word pilgrim. The word pilgrim is the idea of being a stranger, meaning never fitting quite in. Have you ever gone to a party underdressed or going somewhere for the first time and not understanding the language and the culture and the awkwardness of that feeling? Feeling in the modern vernacular what our young people would say OP. OP meaning out of place. That feeling of awkwardness, of feeling out of place, that is the very same feeling you are to have in the world in which you and I live, never fitting right in. And yet many of us are very comfortable in this world. We are too comfortable in the ways of this world. No wonder... When God calls, very few move. You are not what the Bible calls you to be, a stranger in this land. We have to be very careful in our contemporary culture of what is happening. A church pastor once said, contemporary theology, what is being taught in modern day theology, is to seek to make the church fit the world, and to make the world comfortable in the church. That should be a warning to us. The church, the body of Christ, is a called-out group. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. We would never fit into the world system. It is a clash of worldviews. And the world, although they are invited and they are welcomed into the church body, should never feel fully comfortable in the church. Peter begs us, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from your desires of worldly things. They do not match with men and women who are temporary residences of this world. Going back to verse 11. The second reason why we are to abstain from our desires for worldly things is right there at the end of verse 11. Abstain from fleshly desires, fleshly lusts. Note this, which war against the soul. There's a war for your hearts and your minds. There's a war for that which you love the most. Because if you love something so deeply, you can't love something else. Unless you are separated from that which you hold on so dearly to, you can never be attached to something else. That's the whole idea in Genesis of leaving and cleaving as it relates to married couples. The Bible Admonishes those who are getting married to emotionally leave the ties you have with your families so that you can love your spouse as you should. But many people never sever the ties, the emotional ties they have with their own families in a healthy way so that they are never able to love their spouse as they should. Unless you are detached from something you cannot be attached to something else in the same way unless you leave the ties you have with the world you will never love the lord as you should and that's why there are so many lukewarm christians today they are never willing to let go of their love for the world so that they can cling and love the christ they should love as he should And I've used this illustration before. Unless you let go of your gripped hands, that which you cling so strongly to, then you cannot grip something else. And we try that all the time with our clenched fists gripping so tightly. We try to add Christ, but he simply rolls off our hands. It is until we let go of the world that we can grip strongly on the Christ. And this is the war that peter is talking about here in verse 11 the war over what we love i once heard it said that worldliness is the greatest enemy to world missions worldliness is the greatest enemy to world missions we are all missionaries for jesus christ But unfortunately, our love for the world, worldliness, has prevented many of us to do the work that God has called us to do. You see, the world cannot see that you love the Lord with all of your heart, soul, and mind, because in many ways, the life we live is no different from the way they live it. Now, I'm not saying you can't like certain things. You can have hobbies. You can like certain foods. You can have favorite vacation places. But the world has to see that those things are not idols in your life. The world has to see that you do not prioritize your work, your hobbies, your families, even that over your love for Jesus Christ. Listen carefully. The world has to see... That the living God and the worship of the living God is the most important thing in your life before you can be an effective witness to the world. Did you get that? The world has to see that the living God and your worship of the living God is the most important thing in your life. It takes priority in your life over everything before you can be an effective witness to the world. Matthew 6.33 could not be more clear. Seek first the kingdom of God. The world doesn't see that in many of our lives. Christ is of importance but he's somewhere in the top ten list. In reality he's probably number six or seven because there's a lot of things that take the priority in our lives over God and the worship of God. We have a responsibility, a great one, to be witnesses to this world. And Putting all of these ideas together, number one, if you're taking notes. Simply put, our first responsibility to be witnesses to the world. Do not love the world. Do not love the things of the world. Do not love the world. Verse 12. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Verse 12. Peter admonishes us to do what is right. Having your conduct honorable. Do what is right, especially to those who do not believe. Especially in front of those who are watching you who do not believe. Peter very clearly tells us in verse 12 our second responsibility as witnesses to the world. Simply put, doing what is right. We are to have an honorable conduct. We are to do what is right among those who are unbelievers. Why is this something we must do? Verse 12 gives us three reasons. They're noted by the three phrases. That when they speak against you as evildoers... They may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. We are to do what is right, first of all, because the Bible says they will speak against us. The world cannot wait for you and I to mess up as followers of Jesus Christ so that they have something to say. If you're a goody-two-shoe, if you're always doing the right thing, you know what? To the world, your life is very boring. They won't write about you. But oh boy, when they get something juicy in your life, when a Christian has fallen, that becomes news. No, but the Bible says in verse 12, they will speak against you. They will not rally to your cause when you do what is right. Understand that. You will not get an applauding from the world when you do what is right. In fact, they may even laugh at you as someone who is naive, someone who is stupid, someone who doesn't understand the quote-unquote real world. May you live your life doing what is right and honorable so that the world has nothing to say about you. And they cannot say anything about you because your reputation precedes them. A lot of Christians are living a life that hopes their community will never find out that they are a Christian They think that it is their task in life to be a ninja for Jesus Christ. There, but never known to be one. So we got a lot of ninjas out there praying and hoping the world will never find out that they are a follower of Jesus Christ. If that is your attitude, you need to change it. The world needs to know you need to proclaim it so that the only thing they can say about you based on how you live your life honorably is that they can say this man and this woman is one who cannot be bought. Here is a man and here is a woman who does what is right. Here is a man and a woman who is beyond reproach Here's a man and a woman who genuinely loves people. My friends, what are they saying about you in the world? What is your reputation to the world as you serve as witnesses to the world? The world is talking about you. What are they saying? Look at the second phrase in verse 12. That when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe. We are to do what is right and honorable. Why? Because the Bible tells us very clearly in verse 12, the world is observing us. They're watching us. They will see whether what you do is right and honorable Or whether what you do is no different. And the hope of verse 12 is that when they see you, what will they see? They will see your good works. They will see that what you have done is right and honorable. Understand that the world does not rest as they watch you. 24-7 you are being watched. To see how you live your life. Do you know what a doppelganger is? For those of you who don't understand that term, a doppelganger uh, is someone who's not related to you but looks a lot like you. In fact, a lot of people will think they are you, a sort of uncanny resemblance. I have a doppelganger. And my doppelganger lives in Sacramento, California. Uh, He has the same hairstyle as me. He is the same build, a little shorter. He's good-looking like me. But has been told, his friends to him, my friends to me, that we look very much alike. We look so much alike that in many cases, when he goes and travels to other places he gets mistaken for me I've only gotten to know him recently well when we met he told me what happened on two occasions he was uh, in Vancouver he was eating a meal and as you know I've spent quite a number of uh, weeks in Vancouver preaching throughout the years and someone kept staring at him in a restaurant Kept looking at him and his family as they were eating there He was a bit annoyed that this couple kept looking at him. After dinner, they came over and introduced themselves and said, Pastor Stephen, are you preaching at our church this weekend? He said, no, I'm not Pastor Stephen. Then, uh, a few months ago, in his wife's hometown in America... They had gone to church, a church that I had preached at a few weeks before. After church, someone approached him and thanked him for preaching a few Sundays ago, and they were touched by the message. He said to the person, I'm not who you think. I am not Stephen Tan. I finally had an opportunity to have a meal with him and his family after four years of people telling me I look just like him. And we had a rendezvous point and uh, his children had asked uh, who they were meeting for lunch and uh, the mother, uh, his wife, just told the three children, just look for someone that looks like your dad. And at this rendezvous point, three children come running to me. See, they have three children as well. And their kids said... He looks just like Daddy. Now, here's my point. I'm glad to have a doppelganger. But I'm even more glad that this doppelganger is a fine young man who loves the Lord. Because if he didn't, he could get me into a lot of trouble by going to places that he should not be going to that people would think that I had been at. the world is watching. They're watching everything about you, and they're even watching people who look like you to make an assessment of who you are. And when they do watch you, what sort of impression do they have? I hope they will walk away when they observe you, that here is a man or a woman who does what is right. That is your witness to the world. So Christians, it is time to stand up for your convictions as the world is watching. Do what is right, regardless of the worldly consequences that you may endure. If you want a great movie that expresses this idea, you can go watch the classic Chariots of Fire The world is watching. They will see how you stand up for what is right and what is wrong. They will see if you have a determination to uphold the convictions as a follower of Jesus Christ. The world will be watching you to see if you are doing the right thing even with great personal cost. We look to the Bible and we see men and women of faith who did just that we think of joseph in the old testament daniel daniel's three friends remember as they were observing daniel the only thing they could say of daniel he prayed too much now you may be thinking these are men and women in the bible that's why they're in the bible they don't live in the they don't live in the real world that doesn't happen today my friends it happens today There are men and women in every corner of this world who know that the world is watching them and that they are witnesses to the world and they are doing what is right, standing up for their convictions. I'm starting to read a book entitled Whatever the Cost. It is the story of the Benham brothers. The only reason I'm reading this book is a mutual friend of mine and theirs, told me that we would have met growing up. The Benham brothers grew up in the same neighborhood as I grew up in Garland, Texas, and I believe I ran into them a few times as we played baseball together. Jason and David Benham are twin brothers, and you can Google their names. They found themselves in the center of a firestorm over their biblical beliefs regarding homosexuality. Here are two brothers who had built a very successful building, nationwide building business in America. And the Benham brothers were hired by HDTV. If you wonder what HDTV is, that's on Sky 88 or 246. To give them an international platform to host a show that talks about real estate and do-it-yourself, a do-it-yourself program. And these are two fine-looking young men. Blonde hair, blue-eyed, photogenic, perfect for TV. But when comments they made about their beliefs were misinterpreted, they were promptly fired over their biblical convictions. And their show was canceled. The world is watching The world is watching. If you're willing to do what is right, even at great personal cost, can you imagine the climax of their professional life making it onto the international stage, having their television show syndicated throughout the world? And I love how they titled this book, the subtitle. The book is entitled, Whatever the Cost, Facing Your Fears, Dying to your dreams and living powerfully. The fear of losing out what you so desire, dying to your dreams. And that's the part I'm in right now in the book where they die to their dreams, but if you look at their lives today, Jason and David Benham never wavered in their conviction. They are living powerfully for Jesus Christ, maybe just not on the international stage, but in their circles of influence, which has expanded greatly. The world is watching. What do they see in your life? The last phrase in verse 12 that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, note this, glorify God in the day of visitation. We are called to do what is right as witnesses to the world so that God will be glorified. And that is why we would want to live an honorable life. So that our Heavenly Father would be praised among the nations. And it is your purpose and my purpose in the life that we have to glorify God. The world does not know God oftentimes except through how we live our lives. And how we live it honorably glorifies His name. We glorify God by how we love Him deeply. And how we love Him passionately. Two words that will be said many a times today on this Valentine's Day. Love. Passion. This is one of the worst holidays for me. This is a man-made hallmark holiday. And the reason it's one of the worst holidays is because of all these young couples who are so romantic that I can't keep up. And Facebook doesn't help. Social media doesn't help. Because my wife will show me what this and that person are doing. And I don't know if she is hinting me that I should put more effort into Valentine's. And if you ask me what we're doing today, the answer is nothing. Or if she's just simply showing me the things that people are doing. Oh, the things that people do for love. Some will even stand up to their families, risk excommunication to profess their love for someone. The depths of love and passion we will go out to show someone we love them just to gain a little love back. Now, there's still a few hours left before Valentine's is over. So I want to help the men out here this morning. If you have the money, let me give for you some ideas for the most extravagant Valentine's Day gift from around the world. But you gotta have the money. If you wanna impress your beloved, you can give him or her the world's most expensive box of chocolate. You can find that in Connecticut, in America, at only 2,600 US dollars, 120,000 pesos, for one pound of high quality cocoa beans. Now, if you can't afford that, you can buy a single piece of chocolate in that box for eye-watering $250. Only 12,000 pesos for a piece of chocolate. That would surely impress her. Now, if your beloved isn't too much into chocolates, you can get her the world's most expensive spa bath. And you can find that in Miami, Florida. Florida. For only 5,000 US dollars, 240,000 pesos, you can enjoy a romantic Evian bath. 1,000 bottles of Evian spring water. Now, if you can't afford that, you can go to the store and buy a case of Absolute. And I'm sure that would also be greatly appreciated. Now, if spa baths are not your beloved's thing, you can take the nine hour flight to Dubai. And there you will find the world's most expensive bottle of wine at 195,000 US dollars, 9.36 million pesos. It costs so much because there are only six bottles of this made left. And you don't have to travel far when you get to Dubai because three of these six bottles are available at the wine shop at the Dubai International Airport. And while you're in Dubai, if you would like, you can also find the world's most expensive cupcake at $1,010 or almost 50,000 pesos for a cupcake containing premium organic flour and butter from England along with Italian porcelain chocolate, high-quality Ugandan vanilla beans, and edible gold sheets. Sounds like a good deal for 50,000 pesos for a cupcake. Now, food isn't your beloved thing. You can try the world's most expensive manicure. You have to go to the UK for that. At $51,100 or 2.5 million pesos, they will not simply paint your nails with nail paint or nail polish. They will actually put 10 carats diamond. 2.5 million pesos for manicure. I will never complain when my wife gets her nails done at 300 pesos. Or you can go to Sri Lanka and get the world's most expensive flower, the kadupul flower. It's one of the rarest flowers in the world. It only blossoms at night and only lasts a few hours. That's why they can't transport it. Uh, There is no price tag to this kadupul flower because it's never been sold. So it's literally priceless. And if you really want to impress the one you love, you can go to Sri Lanka and give them a kadupul flower. And the list goes on. People will actually get these things to prove their love for someone with the hopes that they will love them back in return. Oh, we can only have the same love and passion To shower upon the one who has already shown us his unconditional love. Imagine what we can do for Jesus Christ in this world. To have the same love and passion to the one who has already shown us unconditional love on the cross. Imagine what can be done for him. Some would actually finally be willing to move to another country to reach the lost. Some would finally be able to stand up to their families and proclaim to them that they are a follower of Jesus Christ. Some would actually finally risk embarrassment to do what is right. Oh, that we have the same love and passion we have for the one who loves us unconditionally and died for us. And if we can express that in the life that we live as witnesses to the world, then we will begin to live for His glory. But somehow love and passion, for many, are simply empty words that come out of a mouth that does a lot of talking without any action. Love, passion, words that should be directed at the almighty God because he deserves it. We love him because he first loved us. The simple profound truths of scriptures tell us how we can live for his glory. Our responsibility of being a witness to the world is nothing you and I haven't heard before. It's simply not to love the world and to do what is right. That is how we are witnesses to the world that is lost. The world is utterly lost. Are you not willing to sacrifice a little of your reputation? and your money and your resources and an embarrassment so that the millions who are on their way to hell can see the truth of Jesus Christ in the way you and I live our lives. Because the task of reaching the lost has been given to us as witnesses to the world. Lives are like vapor, they are short. Eternity is forever. Heaven is full of joy. Hell is real and horrific and terrible. These are the great realities of life. Therefore, live as a witness for Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word has reminded me again, and I hope our congregation, that we are witnesses to a world that is lost. We get so caught up in the pettiness of our lives that we have forgotten the great realities of heaven and hell, of the temporariness of our lives and the eternality of heaven. We've forgotten the great realities and the great concerns that our lives should be focused on. Thank you for reminding me and reminding our congregation through your word. May we be faithful witnesses to the world until we see you again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.